Good morning. Merry Christmas. Wow. We're almost there. Yes. And thank you for braving the weather this morning. As a pastor, sometimes I wake up Sunday morning and I go, good, they're not going to go to the beach today. They can come to church. That's just what goes through my brain. I had to confess somewhere tell you that but thanks for coming middle school you're dismissed for your class this morning those of you online say hi to you thank you for joining us we're glad to have you be a part of it that way the rest of you grab your message notes we are going to dive in this is the third Sunday of Advent we're doing Advent this year and um, basically Advent we're, we're, we're tying two things together because Advent actually has two meanings to it, and we talked about this two weeks ago, sort of the definition of Advent is a time of expectant waiting and preparation for the celebration of the nativity of Christ at Christmas. So part of what we do for Advent is we remember back, we think back, we talk about the Christmas story and remember that and celebrate it because the baby that was born in the manger became the savior of the world. Hallelujah. Amen. That's why we celebrate. That's why Christmas is a big deal. However, the definition doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, and, okay, we do the expectant waiting and preparation for the return of Christ at the second coming. So we've been highlighting that throughout the series. Thinking back to the original Advent when Christ came at Christmas time 2,000 years ago, but we're also thinking ahead. I don't have a date for you on that one. We're thinking ahead to when Christ comes back again. And what do we do? Well, what do we do in the meantime? Last week we talked about uh, the preparation was the theme and, and what, what kinds of things do we do while we're waiting for the return of Christ to prepare for the return of Christ. So we, we had some things that we can do to make it uh, to make make it a great experience, both the waiting and his return. But probably one of the things that's more important than what you do while you're waiting is the attitude you have. Anyone ever tell you you've got attitude? Okay. You you want don't want to admit it. Anyways, you know, so Probably one of the hardest things to do while you're waiting for something is, is to have a good attitude, right? When things aren't going your way, when things don't go the way you want them to go, uh, and then you're, it, it, we just sometimes struggle with the attitude because one of the things about attitude is, especially when we're waiting, like say for instance right now, you're waiting for something exciting to happen. And so you're waiting, you're waiting, and all of a sudden, you, you, because you can't do anything about it, the, the attitude starts wavering a little bit. And first of all, you get a little impatient, right? You get a little bit of impatient, you start getting a little anxious, then it moves to stressful, and then from there, it moves to either one or two directions. You either get really angry, or you give up. And you tend to think, well, it hasn't happened yet. It's taken forever. What makes you think it's ever going to happen? So we talked about that last week, and, and that has to do with our attitude. And so, but the, the challenging thing is, when you're struggling with your attitude and you're not always getting it right, 
Then you look at somebody near you and they're waiting on the, they're doing, they're going through the same process. They're waiting for the same thing that you're waiting on. But they got a big smile on their face. And that even takes you off. How can you be so happy because I'm struggling with this? And so we get a bad attitude about others, good attitude. And so it just snowballs that way. You know, when we think back to the, the first coming of Christ, when Christ first came, the first advent of Christ, people had been waiting a long time. Okay, during that time, the Jews, at the time of the birth of Christ, it had been at least six or seven hundred years from some of the very specific prophecies of Scripture that they were hanging on to. So they, they were waiting. They knew a Messiah was going to come. They were waiting six, seven hundred. Now, no one person was waiting that long, right? But they were, the, the original ones, they, they got this prophecy. They go, oh, the, there's a Messiah. Somebody's going to come to rescue us and save us. Well, they would pass that on to their children, to their children, to their, so for generations, the children of Israel had been waiting for a Messiah, a Savior to come. And waiting, and waiting, and during that time, there was people that would rise up, some very energetic, zealous people would come and say, well, if the Messiah isn't coming soon, then I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to rescue the Jews from those horrible Romans, only to once again crash and burn like they did every time. But then, all of a sudden, in the dark of the night, it happened. And Luke chapter 2 says this, that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, like probably standing in there, you know, with them, among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. In other words, it, everything just got crazy, bright, the Lord's glory, an angel shows up. So what, what are you thinking? You ever, you ever been out in the country at night when there, there was no full moon, there's stars in the sky, and there's no ground light? What is your, th I mean, you can't even see your hand in front of your face, right? They're there, and all of a sudden, whoosh, the whole place goes bright, and there's this angel shows up. And what does he say? What does the angel say? It's, first of all, it says they were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. And they're going, okay. <laughs> Probably not, right? Of course we're afraid. And he said, I bring you good news that will bring, bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah. In other words, the angel assured them by using the word Messiah, the Savior, all of a sudden the angel said, the one that you have been waiting hundreds of years for as a nation, he's here. It says the Messiah has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And so the shepherds went, everything was just as they said, and then it says, goes to the next verse, verse 20, it says, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So even as a baby, 
just by his birth, Jesus brought joy into the world in a world that was full of darkness and despair and depression and confusion and chaos. Like today, (laughs) maybe a little bit, Jesus shows up and just by showing up, he brought joy into the world. You know, a a big, we're going to talk about joy this morning, but a big part of having that kind of joy, having that excitement, is when, when something that you have been hoping for, Okay, you've been praying for something, you've been hoping for something, and, and it seems like the longer it takes, but yet something inside of you says, nope, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's coming soon. And all of a sudden, that thing that you're hoping for happens. And there's such a joy and excitement because all of a sudden you realize that all of your, all of your anticipation and everything you've been planning for, it was real. It finally happened, and that happens for us as well, as much as, you know, sometimes we like surprises. Not everybody does, right? But I think deep down we all sort of do. We like to be surprised. When, when something that we've been hoping for and praying for and anticipating, when it finally happens, we're like, yes! And there's a sense of not just happiness, but there's a sense of deep fulfillment and, and excitement that the expectation that you've had is actually playing out. It's actually happening. That's what Jesus brought. Because what, and just like it was foretold by the prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah 9 says this. He says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now this is a prophecy about Christ coming, what it's going to be like. You You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. So today we're going to talk about joy in the waiting. Because we are waiting. Just like they were waiting. But their waiting paid off with the birth of Christ. Someday our waiting is going to be paid off as well with the coming again of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's going to be an amazing day for all of us who believe in Him. So, what kind of attitude are we going to have in the waiting? Is it one of anticipation? Is it one of, you know, obviously we're saying, you know what, when that happens, that's going to be awesome. I'm going to have a lot of joy when that day comes. And we will. (laughs) But how about from this moment until that moment? Can you still have joy in the anticipation and in the expectation of the coming of Christ. So what, what does joy mean? Well, I, I found, put together and I found this definition uh, of joy up here on the screen. Here's what it is. An emotion, now I added the word attitude, okay? Because I believe it's also attitude that's acquired by the anticipation, acquisition, or even the expectation of something great or wonderful, because joy is so much more than just being happy or, or, you know, just having a good attitude. It may include that. But joy 
goes so much deeper and it is so much better and it lasts so much longer than all of those. Here's what 1 Peter says, describe, he talks about it. He says, you love him, who's him? Jesus Christ. You love Jesus even though you have never seen him. Then he says, though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. See, when we have this trust and this faith about Jesus being real and that he is who he says he is, even though we don't see him, he says the result of that is going to be, you're going to have this joy, this inexpressible joy. And, And it's a joy that is beyond words. I, I told several people after the service this morning, I said, you know what, for me, this is a challenging message to preach on joy because I don't really know how to explain it. I, I don't know how to describe it. The Bible even says it's indescribable, right? Inexpressible. So I, I struggle sometimes in how to explain it. Now, I know when I have it, but I'm not sure how to, how to explain it to you, right? You know it, too. There's times when you've had this joy, and you're going, man, this is great. I'm not sure where it came from, but I really like it. That's sort of how I feel today. But I want to share with you this morning, what what does the Bible say about having joy? Because we all know what it's like to have joy when everything goes as expected, right? When everything's good. You know, something you've been planning, you've been hoping for, and everything is going great. And you have this little sense inside, you go, yeah, it's all working out. We know what that feels like. But how about when it's not? How do you have joy in the midst of difficulty? Maybe it's the difficulty you're going through personally, or maybe it's just the difficulty in life right now, which is sort of crazy, right? How, do, how can we have that joy? So, I got three, I believe, important things for us to know about joy. Hopefully, we, by the end, you'll, we'll understand it a little bit better. So, these are, the, these are the points for this morning. So, what is joy? Well, first of all, write this in your notes. Joy is a gift from God. Okay, it's a gift. It's something he gives to us. A gift is something you don't really deserve. You haven't earned it. You haven't worked for it. But just out of the goodness of somebody's heart, their life, they give you a gift. I mean, you can, you can be happy. You can act joyfully up to a point. <laughs> but on your own, you cannot manufacture joy. We're, we're limited in this, right? Because real and lasting joy, the good stuff, is something that God gives us. It's a God-given kind of a thing. It's beyond anything that we can express and develop on our own. Here's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1.6. He says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. And then he says, In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he says this. He says, you know what? In spite of all the challenges and all the difficulties you guys are going through, you have chosen joy when we 
preached to you, when we told you the message, the gospel of Christ, you chose to receive it with joy that the Holy Spirit had given you. He gave it to them, and they made the decision to, to experience it and express it. So God gives us his joy as a response to our faith and our perseverance, and I would say a good attitude. <laughs> but God giving us joy is not just a reward for something. Like, okay, you earned it, so here you go. Here, here's what I really believe. That God wants us as his children to live an amazing, joy-filled life. And he knows you can't manufacture it on your own. You, you, can't, you can't on your own get that kind of joy that God really wants you to have. So he says, here, I'll help you. I'll give you my joy because I want you to be joyful. I want you, remember Jesus said one time, I've come to give you life and give it what? Abundantly. A joy-filled life is a part of that abundant life that God gives us. And so, even in the midst of, of difficulty that we go through, God wants us to experience it. Because here's the thing. Like, especially if you're going through a very difficult time, and people around you know that you're, maybe it's a crisis, maybe it's a, a health issue, maybe it's something you're going through, and some of the people around you, they know of your situation. But yet... Not only do you have peace, but you have this joy. And it's not a flippant, I'll just put a smile on my face when I'm around other people kind of joy. It's a, no, I truly am good. I truly have this joy. I know that my life seems like it's falling apart, and I feel like you know every, all odds are against me, but I just have this joy. I can't explain it, but I have it that joy becomes a light, a bright light to people around you, and they see it. I mean, it's a witness to others. And it's, it's like, how can you not just be happy, not just be, have a peace, but there's something about you that is just amazing. You seem to be really settled with this you seem to have this they they might not even know what the word joy means but it really comes down to a joy that kind of attitude that kind of choice that kind of joy makes a huge difference it's a light in this dark world not just yours but the people around you here's what it says in romans 15 Verse 13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with what? Joy. He'll fill you completely with joy and the peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, there are so many benefits of you living with, not just experiencing or having, but you living your life with joy. There's this peace. There's this hope, and this is, life is good. I don't know why, but I just feel 
that life is good. Number two, second thing about joy is that it is a fruit of the Spirit. Now this one's, the word fruit, in my mind, I know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you do too, but try to explain it to somebody. What is fruit? Well, fruit is basically the result of the, the, the outgrowth of something that you do, something that you have. It's the evidence of something. Let me give, me, give you an example. We live here in Florida. Uh, citrus trees are a normal part of many people's backyard, front yard. You buy an orange tree, a navel orange tree, and you buy it as a, just a little seedling and it's growing and, and after three or four years, it's you know about this big and you go, okay, we should have some oranges here one of these days, but there's not even any blossoms. There's no little green fruit develops and after about five years, you're going, wait, I, I, it says on the tag, it's a navel orange tree, but I'm not getting any oranges off this orange tree. What's the deal? Seven years goes by. You don't get a single orange, yet the tag says it's a navel orange tree. What do you think? <laughs> this is a dud, right? Somebody mislabeled this. It looks like one. I mean, there's, there's like orange leaves, the orange tree leaves on it. That's a tree that bears no fruit, right? You know what? That's, that's like a lot of... I don't want to say us because you guys aren't like this. This is like a lot of people. They would say, hey, I, I follow Jesus. I'm a Christian. Okay? So they have that label on their tree, Christian label, but there's no fruit. There's nothing in their life that demonstrates being like Jesus. They don't have a Jesus attitude. They don't do any Jesus. Are you following me? Okay, there's no fruit. There's no evidence of that. Fruit is the evidence of something that makes it, that proves that it's real. And so joy is a fruit. It's a fruit that the Holy Spirit gives us. It's an action. It's an attitude. It's a behavior. It's words that affect other people. So they know there's evidence, there's proof of it. It comes from God, the Holy Spirit, when we live a life that is surrendered to him and obe obeying him. Now, in the book of Galatians, uh, Paul wrote, if you, if you understand the writings of Paul, especially you call them the epistles. The epistles are not the wives of the apostles, okay? The epistles are the, the books of the New Testament that the apostles wrote. And most, a lot of those were from Paul. So he wrote, you know, he, like the church in the book of Corinthians, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, he wrote to the church of Corinth. The church of Philippi got the book of Philippians. Okay, so he's writing the church in Galatia, hence Galatians. Are everybody with me on that? Okay, that's your Bible lesson for today. Okay, so he, in chapter 5, he, he has this discussion because usually in these letters, he writes them to address either to teach them something or to address an issue in the, in the church. They're actually letters to the church. So in this letter, in chapter 5, he writes this dynamic of, I'm assuming people had this problem. He says, look, you, you as Christians, because he's writing to the church, they're all Christians, as far as we know, and he says, 
you guys are struggling with something. He says, he says, when you choose to live your life controlled by your old nature, your sinful nature, your, your selfish human nature, the old self, then you're going to bear fruit of that. And he goes and lists some of that. There's consequences for living a selfish, sinful life. But if you live according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in other words, you have a choice, one or the other, yourself or the Holy Spirit, then there's going to be fruit of that as well. So if you go to the next verse, Galatians 5, he says this, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In other words, if you live by the Spirit, you will not do what your, your sinful nature wants you to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. But the fruit of the Spirit, okay, the fruit, the evidence, the result of, the proof of the Holy Spirit in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those nine things. Then he says against those there is no law. Nobody can prohibit those from you from doing those, from having those in your life. So joy, the second one on the list, is a natural outcome. It's a fruit of you choosing to live your life, not, not for yourself, not for your old sinful nature, but choosing to live your life led by and living by the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you. It's a fruit. It's the result. It's the evidence of that. And it's interesting because every one of these nine characteristics, if you look throughout Scripture, we are instructed to work at them for ourselves. Okay? We know plenty of verses that tell us we need to love each other, right? We should love each other. Okay, we should have joy. We've got another verse coming talks about we should be joyful. Uh, you should be at peace with each other. You should have self-control. You should be kind, right? All these things. We should work at them, doing the best we can to develop these. But then you know what, what he says? He says, but guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to help you develop these and make and help you to live these out and, and to have these in a way that you could never do on your own. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is, and joy is one of those. You know, when Jesus came, and while he was here on this earth, he, he taught many things, right? All Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, cover the things that Jesus taught. All the miracles he performed, okay? The miracles, of, he raised people from the dead. I mean, people that were blind, he gave them sight. People that were deaf, they could hear People that were, you know, were filled with diseases and the crippled and the lame, they were all healed. He did all these things. He saved people. But one of the themes that Jesus constantly talked about in all four of those Gospels is the fact that he's going to leave and he's going to come back. He very, very explicitly talked about many of those things. And he gave very clear descriptions of what we should expect. And when you look at John, the book of John, uh, chapter 15, he, he talks about this. But if here, let me start with this verse, and then I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. 
John 15, 11, he says this. I have told you these things. So let's stop at these things, okay? What is he telling them? Well, John, starting at chapter 13, 14, and all the way through 17, is Jesus instruct, this is like Jesus' last words to his disciples before he goes to the cross. All these chapters include the, the evening that they were they had the, the last supper just before he went and got arrested in the garden. These, these are things he told them. And so one of those is in chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, he says, look, okay, don't be alarmed, discouraged. I'm going to leave you guys. I'm going to leave you here in a little bit, but don't, don't be alarmed because while I'm gone, I'm preparing a place for you in the Father's house. We talked about this back a couple weeks ago. But don't worry, I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm going to take you back with me and we're all going to go up together. So this is in the context, these words is when he says, I've told you these things, this is part of what he told them so that you will be filled with my joy. I told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I mean, you'll be so filled with joy, you can't contain it. Not only can you not describe it, you can't contain it. It's going to be so awesome. That's Jesus' own words about his coming back for us. And to take us with, matter of fact, this should be one of the most joyful, exciting things that we can even think about. I mean, think about the fact that someday, if you're alive on this earth, Jesus shows up and instantly we're transformed to be with him. And even if you're not alive on this earth anymore, same thing's going to happen. <laughs> You're going to be resurrected and instantly transformed, and we're going to be with him forever. Folks, that's sort of exciting. Okay? And he tells us that we need to continually have this on our mind. And, be, and when he told us these, he said, look, I told you these things so that you can have joy that's overflowing. I mean, that should just ooze out of you. What's going to happen in the future. And just like the shepherds were rejoicing when Jesus was born, so too we can rejoice because Jesus returns. Amen? Then the third one, this is the big one, this is where you come in, is that joy is a choice. It's a choice. See, you can choose to embrace and accept this gift of joy that God gives you. It's like a gift. It's, and we're going to experience this. Many of you, hopefully most of you, will experience this thing of getting a gift in the next two, couple weeks, right? It's Christmas. We give each other gifts. And, and, and you're going to have a gift at some point probably, or you're going to be a in a room where someone does, where, where there's a gift given to somebody. Now they have a choice. Now, if you're under 25, 12, I mean, it's no choice. You're going to dive into that gift like right away, right? But it's still a choice. Am I going to open that gift or am I just going to look at it, appreciate it? Wow, that's an awesome looking gift. Somebody ought to open that someday. 
you have that choice with the gift of joy. You're either going to accept it and embrace it and say, God, thank you for the joy. I choose to have your joy. Or you're just going to be sad. You're going to be depressed. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to be grouchy. You're going to be mad. You're going to be scared, full of fear. It's your choice. God has given you something, and, and, and you get to choose. And it's not just a random kind of a choice or out of the blue or I work really hard at this. The choice is, are you going to embrace and receive what God has already provided you, or are you going to continue to think that you got to work really hard at getting it? God says, come on, you're my kids. I, I give you good gifts. Joy is one of those. You're going to take it? You're going to experience it? You're going to live it? But the key is that we don't go after joy. We go after the joy giver. We keep our eyes on the one who gives us the joy, and the joy becomes a natural out fruit, <laughs> an outpouring, a result of that. Because in every situation, we know this, in every situation we go through, you can either choose, you, you can always choose your response, and you can always choose your attitude, right? You can't always choose what happens to you, but you can choose those, what you're going to do. And Jesus showed us how to do that. Jesus showed us how in the middle of difficulty, you could choose joy. Here's what it says in Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before Christ. What was that? It was you and I. It was our salvation. Because Jesus knew that the result, now this, he knew that the result of him going to the cross, on the cross, dying and being put in a tomb, and then coming back to life, the result of that was going to be the salvation of everyone who believes. You and I, that was what his eyes were on. That was the joy. I mean, just think about it. If you have made a decision to follow Christ, it was because of that that Jesus was able to endure the cross. He said, you know what? And he knew this. He knew it was going to be a lot of pain and suffering that he was going to go through that Thursday night and that Friday. But he said, you know what? Because of what's going to happen as a result, it's worth it. I choose to go through it. So the question for you is, what is the joy that is set before you? What is it in your life that you say, because this is going to happen, I know it. It hasn't yet, but this is going to happen. And, and it's joy. I, I just have joy just thinking about this, that I can go through this. 
Maybe you don't have one. You know what Jesus says? He says, me coming back and taking you with me should fill your heart to overflowing with joy. That means that when you think about Jesus Christ coming back, when you think about him taking us with you, taking, taking, him, taking you with him, and you get to be with him forever, that should, be, that should give you so much joy that you go, you know what? <laughs> Whatever I go through here doesn't compare with what I'm going to experience someday. But it's your choice. It always comes down to a choice. But God, but Jesus gave us the example of what, how he chose joy through the most difficult thing he ever went through. Amen? The last verse in your notes is uh, in Psalm chapter 70. This is a Psalm of David. He wrote this, and I, when I saw this, I thought, you know what? This, these verses express, I think, how many of us feel today. And uh, hopefully it'll connect. He says, here's David writing this. He says, please, God, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. Anybody? Okay, <laughs> right. May those who try to kill me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame. For they said, aha, we've got him now. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, God is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O God. You are my helper and my Savior. O Lord, do not delay. Amen. I was thinking about, we, we started with the fact of, of the first advent when Jesus was born. He's in a stable, in a manger, the shepherds came. And it says how much joy they had. And even then later, a little while later, when the wise men showed up, they worshipped and they were filled with joy. And, and it was a baby. And think about all the joy that came when all they saw was a baby and promise. But think about when you get to see Jesus. The Bible tells us that when we see him, we're going to see him as he really is. Every, and everything that he's done, we're going to see it all. It's going to be the complete picture. What joy that's going to be for all of us who believe. Let's stand together.